You are listening to Talking Star Wars. Make sure you listen to our previous episode, where we discuss the monsters and creatures from the original Star Wars trilogy and the prequel trilogy. Uh, that brings us to everyone's favorite segment of A Force Awakens, the Rathtar scene. Well, I mean, this is... Uh, Rathtar. Yeah, so we go into the sequel trilogy coming out many years later, and in many ways, The Force Awakens has many parallels to uh, A New Hope, and including it has almost, it almost feels obligatory, the creature scene where we need to have an alien creature that hates our heroes. And we have, uh, I'm not sure what Han Solo's freighter, what its name is, but he's hauling these valuable tentacled meatball monsters and uh, uh, I, I do quite enjoy the scene because Han is uh, boarded by two separate gangs who are out for his blood. And uh, Ray and Finn are aboard. Uh, they were uh, captured by Han on the stolen Millennium Falcon. And they're trying to help and sort of separate Han from the gangs. But instead, they open up the doors to the Rathtar cages. And it's it's... It's some stringy, ropey CGI. The gladiatorial beasts in Attack of the Clones, I thought, were more realistically rendered. And that was in full daylight. So, say what you will about the prequels. It's, it's one area they shine. But, again, they serve the same narrative structure of we have this uncontrollable force of the universe that we tried to contain. Now it is uncontained. And it is wreaking havoc. And it's serving as an obstacle to our heroes in Escape. This adds an element that hadn't been present as much before, which was an element of spectacle, where you're like, ah, yes, the Rathathars are killing all of the gang members, haha. Ha. Where it's it's sort of, instead you're intended to enjoy watching the Rathathars, this freed nature, devour a bunch of people. And even when they hook Finn, you're not really afraid for Finn in the same way you might have been afraid for Luke Skywalker in the Pit of the Rancor. So you don't see in the worm battle in a new hope is more frightening than everything that you do see in the Rathtar escape. Yeah. So it is not a bad scene, but it is definitely a sign of it's taking a thematic element present in other parts of star Wars and doing it in a way intended to induce spectacle rather than leaning into one of the more thematic elements, which may have been, you know, the impact of nature. Cause there could have definitely been more where it was a bad idea to even have these creatures aboard, which I think does come across fairly clearly, but, but it's Han. So he can, he's allowed to make poor decisions in the star Wars universe. <laughs> Yeah, and managed to barely escape by the skin of his teeth. And then they just abandon the Rathtars on the freighter, and they leave. Um, in fact, d disintegrating one of them by going into hyperspace directly through it. Is there a backstory on the Rathtars and their culture? Um, if you play Lego Star Wars, The Force um, Awakens, you can play the mission where Han Solo goes with a whole crew to attempt to retrieve the Rathtars. Um, a member of a rival gang shows up to steal the Rathtar, but children he defeats them and then you know loads them all into a ship but you do get to see all of his crew slowly you know, in lego pieces getting knocked into different pieces by these rathtars as han solo and chewbacca look to capture the rathtars and giant lego nets so that's the closest you get to a backstory about the rathtars i had a feeling there'd be one though uh the, the next installment i know probably has many backstory installments uh the the everyone's favorite deer creatures from Last Jedi. 
Yeah, so... We have a name. Yeah, Fathiers. So in The the Last Jedi is, again, not a creature-heavy movie. Even on some of the alien planets we land on, like Crate at the end, we don't have... You know, Crate is a dead planet. There's nothing that lives there at all. The crystal foxes are um, a thematic and symbolic animal rather than a creature to be fought against. And the Fathiers are sort of fulfilling the same thing. They are not antagonists. They are is not a thing or creature that the protagonists have to fight against, but they are the closest we get to creatures being pivotal in a scene in this movie. And yeah, I mean, they're a direct allegory for a cross between racing horses and greyhounds where this does lean heavily into the exploitation of nature by capitalist corporate entities um, via, via torturous means for the profit of the few. I'm not against the Faviers for any reason. I'm I'm definitely behind this idea of, okay, let's let's show how creatures are subjugated in the Star Wars universe, uh, but just the heavy-handed way that it was written. Well, having the Faviers literally stampede through a casino, knocking mm-hmm. over all the rich people and destroying all their gambling equipment, was sort of like this feel-good uh, triumph of nature mm-hmm. where. Oh, and then we free them all on the beach. Yes, on the desert planet of uh, um, <laughs> Cantobite. Yeah, yeah. Cantobite's actually not the name of the planet; it's the name of the city. But I don't remember what the name of the planet is. Yeah, they actually released a lot of tie-in media about Cantobite before the Last Jedi came out. For anyone unaware, that talk that was building Cantobite up to be this like, you know, Las Vegas in space, ruled by corporate interest, almost like this cyberpunk dystopian Las Vegas. Which was interesting, and then they didn't do a lot of it with the movie. Either the scenes got cut, or they were only there for a brief amount of time. And again, trying to explore the city of Cantobite when we have such a tight timeline in the movie of a a fleet being pursued across the galaxy did not really give the narrative space and breathing room to actually explore a city of this complexity. In our next installment, that leaves us with one creature, I believe, whose name I cannot recall, but serves a purpose... Giant snake. It's a giant Harry Potter snake. Yeah, from the the rise of Skywalker. And uh, this snake encounters our heroes when they're trying to escape something, because I did my homework. Um, and uh, they're, they're underground, having retrieved the dagger of the assassin that Lando and Luke had been pursuing years mm-hmm. earlier, and uh, it had been wounded by one of the locals. This is our, our first instance of Ray using a force heal, uh, which we've discussed in a previous episode. So this is probably actually as closest as the sequel trilogy gets to something as deft as either the Rancor or Wampa scenes, where it is a creature that becomes a complication, and it reveals things about each character present, where Finn follows Ray's lead, Poe wants to take unilateral action and just shoot it, mm-hmm. but then is persuaded by the rest of his team to hold off from his more rash actions. Um, his rash actions in the last movie did not particularly do him any good. And then it shows Rey as the Jedi handling the situation using the Force, but also in a way that reveals things about her character. Compassion, um, willingness to see beyond the surface, and also a love of nature from someone who grew up on a planet that barely had any. It's, it's not looking at this beast as a fanged, horrifying creature, but something that is in need of compassion, something that needs healing. Very much a, a comparison to Darth Vader, where you have this horrifying monster who just needs some compassion, some love, some forgiveness. 
and is redeemed. Yeah, certainly reframing the existence of the, the monster and the creature as something that's the other that needs to be fought against to something that needs to be helped and understood because the real villain is the First Order and we need to focus our energies on fighting this more you know, fascist military threat. We can we can coexist with the nature, but we got to go blow up the First Order. I think you've given me something to appreciate in The Rise of Skywalker. There's the clever use of the Force dyad, allowing Kylo to track Rey based on a pendant that he stole from her during one of their uh, Force communications. And now the, the actual wise use of uh, creatures as a means of uh, showing character and just a reflection of the galaxy as a whole. Yeah, that scene by itself is, I think, you know, people like to knock on the Force healing, but I find mm -hmm. that it's very revealing of Rey's character. And when you immediately juxtapose it with her unleashing the Force lightning in the later scene, which happens like almost immediately after, um, you start to get a very robust look at Rey as a more complicated character. Mm -hmm. And she was a character in need of complication. Those are film canon of the, the traditional Star Wars series, but we have some other films and installments to look at. We have Rogue One, where they this also felt like the need to include an alien creature in the form of Borgullet. Yeah, I'm not sure quite if Borgullet qualifies in the classical sense because the Borgullets are intelligent, mm -hmm. kind of. They devour thoughts and are, are allowed them to be extracted and read. Um, they appear in other media, such as Dr. Aphra, as a means of imperial torture and information gathering. Thematically, they're, this is very much the creature in the Star Wars film, because it's not given a line to speak, and it's cast in foreboding lighting and uh, tentacles. But this is interesting narratively, because Saw Gerrera is the one who has Borgullet, and he is almost in the role of Jabba the Hutt. Jabba the Hutt was an evil gangster. Saw Gerrera is a extremist freedom fighter or terrorist, depending on how you view him. And he is the one with a creature in his lair that he subjects a prisoner to for his own ends. Uh, pilot that has been captured in Rogue One, you know, is trying to deliver a message, but instead he is uh, the Borgullet is unleashed upon him and inflicts harm upon his mind at Saw's uh, insistence. So it's really the only creature present in Rogue One that needs to be that has an antagonistic or even significant role in any scene. Yes, it's a very fair reflection of the extremism of the more the radical leaning yeah. rebels. So, yeah, but otherwise Rogue One is primarily a war movie. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, you don't see like untamed nature. Mm -hmm. This is more like captured, exploited nature. And it's by one of our nominal allies showing, you know, the, the casting saws, this dark mirror to other, uh, characters and factions that we have seen this with solo where doing the beginning of the film we have some lovely puppet creatures very reminiscent of jim henson but again those are intelligent creatures i'm thinking specifically of han's boss yeah lady proxima who is han solo's and hira's boss at the very start of solo is certainly looks like a creature but she's intelligent and shrill and evil but the actual creature that shows up in solo shows up during the famous kessel run which as we mentioned before han solo has had some experience he fights the exegorth in empire strikes back and now he fights this leviathan creature in hyperspace it's like a planetoid sized 
enormous creature that lives in the dark space of a nebula around the planet of Kessel, where there's been one safe route charted through the nebula around Kessel, and when the Millennium Falcon dives into the dark area, it turns out existing there is this massive planet-sized creature that devours all on its path. It's a kraken. This is the Leviathan. This is some sort of Moby Dick kind of analogy where you have uh, Han trying to carve this path through the storm. And, uh, of course, uh, he's not alone because there are other... You call this sentient if you want, but just other forces in the environment that he's trying to carve through. So it's this idea of going through the dangerous, unpaved territory and then coming face to face with the exact reason why you don't take shortcuts. Yeah, so this is, I mean, if we're looking again at the Odyssey, this is Scylla and Charybdis. This is the maelstrom and the creature. This is taking the route you're not supposed to take out of hubris and then it's getting a threat far beyond what you are prepared to fight against and it does give han solo the ability to display the qualities that would define him such daring ill-advised decision making just enough luck and skill to get out of bad situations using his environment his advantage (laughs) it's also playing into this whole visual spectacle that some creatures do but i think in a more interesting way than the wrath tars did in short, if uh, th- those are our film creatures, but uh, taking a look at animation so far, say Clone Wars, do we have any uh, major alien beasts that stand out? Yeah, there's an entire arc about the Zillow Beast. Giant kaiju, correct? Yes, that is found slumbering, and they have a whole army set to try. They're trying to capture it to study its unique invulnerable scales for use in armor, though that's what Palpatine says. He probably has Sith... Uh, motivations for attempting to capture this ancient, almost extinct being. Mm-hmm. So you have you have lots of different creatures that show up at various levels of threats th- throughout the Clone Wars. Zillow Beast was the one from uh, Clone Wars that I have in mind also, just because the Zillow Beast is this this kaiju, this Godzilla, this amazing force that the Jedi and clones have to fight. It's this representation of them trying to overcome nature and being unable to do so. Are there any other major Clone Wars creatures that make a, a narrative narrative stamp? Otherwise, when it comes to Star Wars Rebels, I know that you said that there are some ties between characters and creatures as well. Yeah, there are other small creatures that show up in various parts of the Clone Wars. There's a time when Obi-Wan and Anakin are trapped at a cave with a Gundark and have to escape. I mean, the Clone Wars has over 100 episodes, so you do get plenty of creatures showing up. It's more as like an episodic or monster of the week format in the Clone Wars. Probably one of the Star Wars Rebels, the next animated show, leans more into the creatures in that Ezra Bridger, one of our main characters, one of his force abilities is the ability to connect with and commune with creatures, um, whether you call it, um, you know, creature companionship or beast control, depending on if you're Sith or not, or animal friendship. There we go. Uh, is one of the, the force powers displays, but then also shows Ezra's ability to go to the dark side. There is a uh, a scene where these light-hating darkness creatures are trapping our heroes in a cave, and then an Inquisitor shows up to fight them, and Ezra actually mentally dominates the largest of the creatures and forces it to attack against its will, which is portrayed as him you know, flirting with the, the dark side in that way. Communing with animals and trying to cooperate with them shows this greater connection with nature. But again, the 
the domination of the animals is very much like the Jedi mind trick, where it's forcing your will upon someone else, and yeah, gives you a good look at the darker balance of that ability. Yeah, and the other primary creature that shows up in Star Wars Rebels would be the Lothwolves, and those are in a more assisting the protagonist role, so they're and they maybe or may or not be intelligent, so not as direct a creature threat as others. There are also Rebels also introduces the creature of the Purgle, which are space whales, literal hyperspace traveling space whales, um, where they are being exploited and hurt by the Empire, and so our heroes must help the Purgle return to their natural habitat and destroy the industrial corporate factory that has taken over their nesting grounds, even though the space whales are kind of dicks. <laughs> Just like in Star Trek, where the space whales are kind of dicks also. Let's take a look at Kenobi. Closest you get it into a creature in Kenobi is where he's working, where he's butchering the remains of a crate mm-hmm. dragon. Um, but you get to see an actual living crate dragon as the focus of an entire episode in The Mandalorian. Yeah, so the, the Mudhorn, which is the first creature in the very first or second episode that the Mandalorian himself has to fight to assist Grogu and then to his deal with the Jawas. And you see it as the first time that he and his child, Grogu, are able to work together towards a common goal. So the uh, Mudhorn, the Krayt Dragon, the Ice Spiders all represent this unknown beast, this unknown force of nature. The uncharted territory, going out into the west... Finding the coyotes, finding the, the mountain lions. Yeah, and the Mandalorian leans heavily into this creature theme that has been present, probably the most of any of their media, the most creatures present, um, from like the great hunt of the Great Dragon to the escape with the ice spiders to yeah the overcoming adversity with the Mudhorn, and I expect that to only continue with the Mandalorian as time goes on, and he finds himself in even further. In stranger planets. Then we take a look at Boba Fett. We have him escaping the Sarlacc pit, escaping the trap, escaping the the prison. Which again, the Sarlacc isn't so much. Uh, he's more of a place. It's more of a place. She's more of a place. They are more of a place than an enemy. But you also have uh, Boba trying to take the role of uh, Jabba, rebuilding his menagerie, getting his own rancor which shows that he is growing in power because he is able to command such voracious creatures, which he had not done before. Yeah, and that, I think, is intended to show power of Boba Fett, as his predecessor did the exploitation of a powerful creature. And again, we have to look at direct allusions to Greek myth. You know, you could view the ice spiders from the Mandalorian they're fulfilling the same narrative purpose as the Minotaur, where the hero must escape from them. You look at the giant between stars, dark nebula creature in Solo. It's in the star system it was inhabiting, where it's ripped apart by the star. That's Scylla and Charybdis. Um, and then you look at the Wampa, and it's basically Polyuctus from the Odyssey, the Cyclops that captures uh, Odysseus and his crew. Monsters themselves kind of step beyond a single genre and have such a great impact on the series. Well, this has been Talking Star Wars with Connor and Alex. Join us next time for the next topic that we will cover in our deep dive into Star Wars. Thank you so much for listening. We've been Talking Star Wars. We'll see you sometime soon in a galaxy right here.